0: The Fake Show Podcast is sponsored by the law firm of Hutchison & Steffen, North 5th Brewing Company, Threads of Envy, The Tone Factory Recording Studios, Moonshot.com T-Shirt Designs, and by Mr. Antenna.
1: We are the
0: world, we are the children. The greatest artists of a generation came together to save some lives. Must be in a dream,
1: huh? Hello, hello.
0: But we only had one night to get this right. Let's get this party started. Those are scenes from the new Netflix documentary where on January 28th of 1985, dozens of the biggest names in music convened at a studio in Los Angeles and recorded a song to benefit African famine relief that would alter global pop culture history. It features never-before-seen footage, the new documentary The Greatest Night in Pop, details the early planning stages, including the songwriting sessions with Lionel Richie and Michael Jackson, and goes inside the studios where We Are the World was recorded. Multi Emmy Award winning camera operator Ken Wu was there and joins me now from Los Angeles. Ken, welcome. I'm a big fan of your work really as a sports camera guy and it must have meant a lot to you to get into the sports broadcasting hall of fame.
1: Oh yeah. It was quite an honor. And it's like anytime you somebody calls you and go, You know you've been induct you're gonna be inducted into the Hall of Fame in your industry, you're like Yeah, oh, wow I'm I'm so honored. Yeah, I'm just touched.
0: As for the We Are the World video, where were you in your career in 1985 when you were asked to be part of this?
1: Uh, I was actually in LA. I was working in Hollywood. I was staff at uh, Television City and C- worked for CBS, but I had been doing a lot of outside production work for Dick Clark Productions and yeah. ABC and NBC, and doing a lot of entertainment stuff. Like, uh, Grammys, uh, Emmys, other award shows, uh, concert videos and things like that. So in that part of my career, uh, I was pretty much exclusively entertainment and doing a little bit of sports on the side to CBS.
0: Was it Quincy Jones who got in touch with you? How did it, how did it uh, come about?
1: Uh, there were two producers, uh, one of which was Howard Malley, and I had worked for him doing a, uh, concert video in uh, Mexico for Columbia Pictures about two weeks before that. In fact, all four of the camera guys that recorded the, the video, we had all worked together on that concert series. So that's kind of how I got hired. Howard called me on the Friday before uh, the AMAs and said, Hey, um, you know, that video that band uh that Bob Geldorf did, well, Michael and Lionel have written a song, and they want to use it to raise money for famine relief. So uh, on Monday, they're going to do this uh, recording session, and they're going to invite a few of their artist friends in to, to help them out, and would you like to be available? And I said, uh, hey, that sounds like a great gig. Yeah, sure, just uh, when and where. And they go, well, Monday, that's all we can tell you. We can't tell you what time, or where. Uh-huh. Don't say a word to anybody. And so I got a call on Monday about 11.30 in the morning, And hey, be down at the AMN studios and be there at 4 o'clock, be ready to roll, and uh, don't breathe the word.
0: Yeah, because with all that star power, if word got out, right, I mean, it would have been impossible. Those people basically had to kind of sneak into the building, yeah?
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. It was, you know, uh, just by virtue of... Uh, there'd been a lot of press there immediately Michael wouldn't have shown up and and a lot of the artists were like oh, I don't want to be right. part of a frenzy here so it was really kept they did a great job you know that's pre iPhone pre texting and all uh-huh. that stuff so the word really didn't get out and the artists who did know about it all did a great job of not saying anything and even, even at the AMAs the the some of the press conferences afterward the question was asked of several of the artists, because apparently there had been a leak from Ken Craig and Lionel's manager, that something was going on, but nobody really knew when or what it was or where it was.
0: The video for We Are The World, of course, obviously was fantastic, but I didn't realize there was all this extra footage until the rest of us saw this documentary on Netflix. So, what were your orders mm-hmm. that night to just kind of follow people around as as the uh, night was proceeding?
1: Well, it's interesting. Uh, like typically, when we do a, a shoot like that in Hollywood, we have a director and he kind of gives us assignments, and you know, uh, he's in a truck and telling us, you know, shoot this or shoot that guy or shoot that girl. So it's all coordinated. Um, that did. Happened that night when we had a very brief uh, camera meeting with the director. I can't even remember who it was. He goes, "Look, uh, with what's going to happen in there, we got four cameras, we got four tape machines. We're just going to roll all the time. So you guys just go after it." He said, "I this is not something I can direct you to do." So basically, he just released the hounds, and we just shot everything on our own. We, uh-huh. we had no direction that night.
0: Interesting conversations took place that evening. Diana Ross actually walked up to Daryl Hall and says, I'm your biggest fan. Would you sign my music for me? (laughs) It's incredible, isn't it?
1: It was so cute. It was so great. Yeah. so gracious. You know, I I was in awe. That was an indicator to me that something really big was going to happen, that Diana Ross was there. And when she did that, you know, it's interesting, uh, it comes out in the documentary that Lionel said it was kind of like, he compared it to the first day of kindergarten, because a lot of these artists, Uh of course, they knew who each other were, but they didn't know anybody personally and because only the artists were allowed in the studio with no managers no agents no publicists no glam squad or whatever they were kind of like left to confront each other directly and that was the greatest thing that happened because uh you know like someone were just so enamored with seeing like ray charles or uh, you know harry belafonte or some of the biggest names in the yeah. history of music uh, and it just got to be better and better as the night went along they just kind of like started cheering each other on
0: the Music Awards had just taken place, and so people were coming over from that. Had Al Jarreau been drinking at the the award show, or did he start while he was in the studio with you guys?
1: I can't tell where he started, but uh, you know, it was funny because he kept asking for more bottles of wine to come in, and Lionel, every time that wine bottle would come in, he tried to get it out of there. He He had a pretty good buzz going on. Yeah, that's for sure. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you must have been pretty blown away by everyone when they started walking into the studio.
1: Oh, it was amazing. It's like, you know, as they entered, like my the first time when I saw Springsteen, that kind of gave me a clue that this is really huge because he was so big with the Born in the USA tour. Yep. And then you see artists like Diana Ross show up um, and then Ray Charles arrives. I'm like, wow, this is just taking it to another level here. Paul Simon, one of my favorite artists of all time. I was just so blown away and so impressed by this gathering of some of the biggest names in the
0: business. Michael Jackson co-wrote the song. What was he like that night? Because I heard that he really only wanted to write and not perform.
1: Uh, Originally, yeah, I think that was the idea. Um, But he's a very shy person, and uh, I'd worked with him in a couple of other... one of them like a Super Bowl halftime show. And he was a very timid man. Um, He didn't like crowds. He didn't like strangers. And uh, that's why I think he sang his parts, most of his parts, before everybody got there. He didn't want to sing in front of these other people. And he kind of... So many people wanted to meet Michael. I mean, he was such a huge star. I think he was a little bit overwhelmed and, and kind of embarrassed about it all. He spent most of the evening, I say... If he was interacting with anybody, he was mostly with Quincy and Diana Ross and Stevie and Lionel because those were the people that were most comfortable with.
0: Same goes for Prince. He did not show up as everyone had hoped. And uh, at that point, what, Huey Lewis would take over his part?
1: Yeah, it's kind of an interesting dynamic. Uh, This is something I learned from the doctor and myself, is that the reason they wanted Prince there is because he and Michael were such rivals and if you notice yeah. where their position in the line of solos, Michael would have been singing right next to Prince, which they thought was a great visual statement, that even these two artists could come together for this cause. But I think one of the best things that ever happened was that Prince didn't show, because I don't think, and this is only my opinion, I yeah. don't think he would have been in the spirit of everybody else in that room. And my goodness, if you think about the way Huey Lewis sang that line and how Prince would have sang that line, oh my gosh, Let's take Huey Lewis any day.
0: Yeah, and I know that uh, there was that whole thing about why wasn't Madonna invited just because Cyndi Lauper was, but on the other hand, Cyndi Lauper really delivered it, didn't she?
1: Oh, she did sell it. Yeah, there was an argument between Harriet Steinberg and Ken Cragen. Like, uh, Harriet, who's uh, Ken Cragen's assistant, wanted Madonna there, and but Ken Cragen wanted Cindy there, because, I don't know, he just felt like there was something she was bringing. She was hot. I mean, she was hot in the charts right yeah. then too. So, and and she really did deliver quite a line herself and really threw herself into it.
0: What do you recall about the moment, I don't know if you were shooting this specifically, where Waylon Jennings walked out because Stevie Wonder wanted there to be Swahili in the song?
1: Well, it, it was kind of an interesting, and I, I get asked about that question a lot, and I think (laughs) people might want to draw something negative from that, but it really, honestly, the way he said it, it was not said in a negative way. I was actually, I heard him say it. I was on that back row back there with it, but you have to realize it was about 2.30 in the morning. They'd been recording for since 10 o'clock. Here's this country music singer who's a little bit older than most of these guys in the middle of all these rock and pop people that he didn't even know, and I think, you know, at that point that that argument about Swahili going into the song, it just had really crashed everything down. Everything came to a standstill and he' <laughs> just like, you know what I've had enough. Uh, ain't no good old boy ever sang Swahili anyway, so I, I'm out of here.
0: On the other hand, Stevie Wonder kind of was uh, a hero because he was coaching Bob Dylan to to sing like Bob Dylan wasn't he?
1: Oh he did and it was it was so funny watching Stevie. Sing like Bob Dylan, so that Bob Dylan would know how to sing. <laughs> it, it was pretty good. And and it wasn't until uh, kind of Stevie explained it and, 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 and did the song the way he wanted Bob to do it, that Bob understood what he was there for. You know, Bob's style of singing was completely different than anybody in that room. So yeah. I think he felt very self-conscious trying to sing in that chorus. Because that's just not the way he sings.
0: When did the evening finally come to an end? Do you remember what time it was? I know that Diana Ross didn't really want it to end.
1: No, she was so cute. She was really sad. that. And everybody, it's funny, everybody that left, I think they all felt kind of the same way. This was like they realized what a historic night this had been and what was going to happen with this. And then they, they walked away all a little bit sad that they weren't part of it anymore for me. I walked out of there about, I think about 8 o'clock in the morning. I think Springsteen was the very last guy to do his solos. So after that, we were done.
0: Ken Wu, the twenty seven time Emmy Award winning camera operator who shot the We Are the World recording session and is featured in the greatest night in pop doc now playing on Netflix. Ken, I really enjoyed this. Thanks so much.
1: Enjoyed it, Jim. Thanks for having me. Bye bye.
0: It's just so incredible when you think about it that by the time this was over, no one wanted to leave the studio, even though it took a lot to convince some people to show up, and there were people like Prince who just didn't show up. That finishes this episode of The Fake Show podcast. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Jim Tofty. I'll see you next time. Listen to The Fake Show anywhere on SoundCloud, Stitcher, iTunes, and thefakeshow.com.